We're guiding you to treatment success and avoiding prostate cancer pitfalls. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Scholz. And I'm your co-host, Liz Graves. Welcome to the Prostate Pros Podcast. Alternative natural therapies appeal to many people. But when it comes to prostate cancer, how much of this is just hype and how much is rooted in science? On this episode, we'll dive into supplements, minerals, and other natural options as they apply to prostate cancer. Liz, at the beginning, I think we ought to give credit to a good friend of mine and professional colleague, Mark Moyad, who wrote a wonderful book called The Supplement Handbook. And I am um, using some of the clinical trials cited in that book as we go through our discussions today. Excellent book. You can get it at Amazon, of course. And uh, it covers... Uh, more than 100 different conditions. And uh, prostate cancer is a small portion of it, but people are always interested in supplements, how they affect a a wide variety of issues. We see this a lot with our patients. I would say you get at least an email a week from a patient asking if they should try the latest this or that. We recently had a patient email about using mushrooms to treat prostate cancer. What do you reply when you get these emails? Well, one thing I'm excited about is that there testing the concept. So much of what's out there is based on on someone said I felt better or some company's got a strong marketing program. And supplements, if they're effective, should show an effect in randomized placebo-controlled trials. There's a big placebo effect. We're all uh, susceptible to positive thinking, which is a wonderful thing. But you can give people a sugar pill and 25 to 30% of people improve. So when you do a test, you have to check the new substance against the placebo, and you have to show a better outcome than the placebo accomplishes. Otherwise, you're just giving another placebo. So in judging the efficacy of these supplements and minerals, you suggest trying to find studies? Either try to find studies if you want to participate, but more importantly, know the studies or find supplements that are backed up by clinical trials that have been shown to be efficacious. Now, let's talk about some popular trends for your patients. One of those is a vitamin C infusion. Vitamin C infusions have been around for a long time, and uh, Linus Pauling popularized this um, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And the um, vitamin C has been shown to shorten the duration of colds. It's been shown to improve healing after surgery. And uh, it has been tested as a treatment for cancer. And I've had a number of patients that have come to me wanting to do vitamin C infusions. And because I haven't seen convincing evidence that it works, I've been unwilling to do it in my own office. But they have gone to other offices, and we check their PSA monthly. I ask them to stop their their treatments so we can tell what's working, uh, you know, without any confusion. So far, in over a half a dozen men, I have uh, not seen a single case where the PSA has uh, stabilized or dropped. It's been disappointing. Vitamin C is well tolerated, so they're not having any side effects. We're just not seeing results. So how long are people getting vitamin C infusions? Is it three weeks or five weeks? Usually we're, because prostate cancer tends to react slowly. If you look at uh, PSA responses to other well-known treatments, hormone therapy, chemotherapy, it can take two or three months before the PSA will stop, uh, start to decline. So what we'll often do is ask them to come in monthly for a PSA and 
if after two, three, or four months, the PSA is not budging, uh, in other words, if it's continuing to rise, then uh, patients actually quickly become convinced that this really isn't working. So getting your PSA tested regularly is important when trying to decide if a vitamin or supplement is working for your prostate cancer. Yes, I mean, this is one of the unique things about prostate cancer is that we do have PSA. Uh, PSA is derided because it's sort of nonspecific for screening the general population. But as a tool to monitor known prostate cancer, in particular men that have had previous surgery, 75, 80,000 men a year have radical prostatectomies for prostate cancer, and about 25 to 30% of those men relapse. And the uh, their relapse is signaled by a rising PSA, and, and we measure the doubling time. How quickly is it rising? That gives us an indication of how serious it is. So it's a great place to do clinical research to find out what is effective in controlling the cancer progression. Other natural products that are associated with prostate cancer are soy, selenium, vitamin E, broccoli, blueberries, green tea, and pomegranate. And I know there was a lot of controversy around pomegranate. Can we talk about if that works for prostate cancer? I think pomegranate's a great illustration because all the early trials which were not placebo-controlled, showed a benefit. 25, 30, 40% of men whose PSA levels were rising after surgery seemed to stabilize uh, for at least a period of time. Later, someone did a randomized placebo-control trial, and that trial showed that pomegranate worked just as well as the placebo did. So this is why without good quality trials, it's easy to come across small human trials showing that something slows or stabilizes PSA, but if it's not compared with a placebo, you get the false impression that it's efficacious. Sometimes things even turn out to be worse. Not that many things are studied in controlled clinical trials because it's expensive to do, but both selenium and vitamin E have been studied in multi-million dollar studies because of early indications that they had anti-cancer efficacy. But it turned out that the patients on those products either had unexpected side effects or did worse with the uh, vitamin E and selenium as compared to a placebo. I think something everyone's susceptible to, and you and I have talked about this, is getting excited about these. You think vitamin E is going to work, and it's like, great, I don't have to do chemo. I just got to take this vitamin. Like, that's so wonderful. Um, but the thing is, is there's no magic bullets. Yeah, and that's. I think there is a whole industry that feeds off the you know the woeful state of cancer patients and uh, big marketing budgets and and uh, selling supplements. So it's not that some supplements don't have a role. It's that the industry behind it is is profit driven, and uh, patients who have cancer are very vulnerable. Is it true, Doctor Scholes, that if you take a lot of these supplements, it can actually increase your risk of prostate cancer? Yeah, clinical trials have been done uh, that convincingly show that people that take various minerals like zinc, iron, copper, uh, can accelerate prostate cancer in people with known prostate cancer, multivitamins as well. It kind of makes sense if you think about it because the prostate cancer cells are very similar to our their human cells and they're derived from our human body. And the very things that help us to grow big and strong, minerals and vitamins, uh, animal protein, all these things can also fortify the cancer and enable it to grow. Unexpectedly, 
the because the prostate cancer cells can grow just like our human cells can grow, they need minerals and vitamins to grow more quickly. Depriving the cancer cells of these substances retards cancer growth. Giving extra amounts can accelerate the growth of the cancer. People oftentimes are taking these supplements because they think it will strengthen their immune system. And strengthening the immune system, of course, is a very important and good thing. But oftentimes the cancer cells are flying under the radar of the immune system, and it's not a weak immune system, it's a blind immune system. So there are some new pharmaceuticals coming out in the, in the future that are going to awaken the immune system to attack cancer cells. But in the meantime, these multivitamins and minerals are probably doing more harm than good. A couple of these are zinc, iron, and copper. But my question is, zinc is something we take for a common cold? Should prostate cancer patients avoid that entirely, or is it okay in small doses? Excellent question. As we're uh, facing the issues, of course, with um, the COVID virus, which is similar to a common cold. So zinc can shorten the duration of the cold virus. Once the cold virus gets uh, into our bodies, say in, in the throat area, it multiplies and then it spreads to other areas of the body, like the, the uh, sinuses, the nose, the lungs. And what zinc does is it stops it from spreading further. Taking zinc on a daily basis is not going to help prevent a cold, but once people develop cold symptoms, they should take zinc lozenges and bathe their mucosal membranes with zinc until the cold symptoms go away. And there's certainly no harm in that for prostate cancer patients. So we've mentioned a, a lot of things that don't necessarily work, um, but there are things that work. And again, uh, Dr. Scholes and I both referenced the supplement handbook by Dr. Mark Moyad, and the subtitle is A Trusted Expert's Guide to What Works and What's Worthless for More Than 100 Conditions. So this book was really, really helpful, and I'm sure if you get it, it'll help you too. Uh, one thing Dr. Moyad mentioned in the prostate cancer section were statin drugs and metformin. Yeah, these uh, medicines, someday I hope we have a pill for exercise, but statins and metformin, think of them as pills for diet. And no one likes to exercise and no one likes to diet. But statin drugs and metformin mimic the effects of the diet on the human metabolism. Statin drugs by lowering uh, cholesterol levels, metformin by lowering insulin levels. Both of these medicines are relatively safe. Of course, they are. Uh, they need to be supervised, and your blood tests need to be followed to make sure there's no side effects. But as everyone knows, they're used very commonly for heart disease and diabetes, so there's broad familiarity with these uh, substances. The studies that have shown that statin drugs and metformin are useful for prostate cancer patients have been done in men with high-risk prostate cancer, Gleason 9 or 10 or 8, uh, and uh, undergoing radiation. And studies that were performed comparing outcomes for men that have radiation for high-risk prostate cancer and those that are taking statin drugs and or metformin show improved survival in the men that are taking those pills compared to the ones that don't. So it seems like a good trade-off. They're relatively inexpensive, easily accessible, generally well-tolerated, and the preliminary data, these are not randomized prospective trial, but the preliminary data does look quite intriguing. Another thing Dr. Moyad mentions is red yeast rice. Uh, this needs a couple more trials, but it does work like a statin. 
Yeah, it does. Uh, one of the problems with supplements in general is that um, a cancer doctor such as myself is really not looking for halfway measures. We want to find the most potent and efficacious agents. One of the nice things about supplements is that they typically don't have much in the way of side effects, and that's a beautiful thing. But on the other hand, oftentimes they're not nearly as potent as what uh, prescription pharmaceuticals can accomplish. So if you look at red rice yeast, the potency compared to a common cholesterol drug like Lipitor is probably about 10 to 20% of Lipitor. So instead of taking 10 milligrams of Lipitor, you're taking one milligram of Lipitor. For totally healthy people that are just fine-tuning uh, and don't want to go see a doctor, red rice yeast is great. But if you're trying to squeeze the maximum juice out of the orange for getting cured of high-risk prostate cancer, I would probably go towards a statin drug rather than red rice yeast. One of Dr. Moyad's key phrases, he says this a lot at PCRI conferences, and it's also in this book, is heart healthy is prostate healthy. One drug he mentions for this is aspirin. So baby aspirin um, was given almost universally until a trial in the New England Journal of Medicine came out a couple of years ago showing really not or really no improvement in uh, overall outcome in the general population without any heart disease. So taking it or putting it in the water or everyone taking it doesn't make any sense. But people that have heart disease and people that have high-risk prostate cancer um, do appear to benefit by taking a baby aspirin. The method of action is purely speculative, but one of the scary and dangerous things about cancers, of course, is that they can spread. And it's possible because aspirin is a mild anticoagulant that it makes it more difficult for cancer cells that get out of the prostate to land, put down roots, and grow in other parts of the body. So for whatever reason, just as is the case for statin drugs and metformin, baby aspirin seems to, in fact, any dose of aspirin seems to reduce uh, the risk of relapse in people undergoing radiation for high-risk prostate cancer. Two vitamins and supplements I hear you talk to your patients a lot about are vitamin D and calcium. This comes up because we give hormone therapy to some of our prostate cancer patients, which causes accelerated calcium loss from the bones and osteoporosis. And when osteoporosis gets out of hand, people can have uh, bone fractures. So uh, vitamin D is fascinating because a number of years ago, large clinical trials looked at adding super high-dose vitamin D to chemotherapy called Taxotere uh, because preliminary trials, once again, had showed uh, that it would likely prolong survival and increase the anti-cancer effects of the chemotherapy. Unfortunately, that trial didn't pan out, and it might have been due to poor trial design, not through the fact that vitamin D failed. But there are a lot of reasons to, not beyond the fact that vitamin D can treat prostate cancer, there are a lot of reasons to consider its usefulness, of course, to build bones, not just men with low testosterone develop osteoporosis, but all aging people do. And calcium uh, is usually given at the same time. Now, calcium is pretty high in our diets already, so calcium deficiency is not common. But if people want to take small doses of calcium, it's important to remember to take it in the evening because your bone metabolism, your bone remodeling, occurs at night while you're sleeping. If you take your calcium in the morning, it'll just be urinated out during the day and have little, if any, impact. Studies have shown that super high doses of calcium can be deleterious for prostate cancer patients. So taking grams and grams of calcium every day in men that have advanced prostate cancer actually accelerated mortality. So calcium should be used 
judiciously in small doses, probably at bedtime. Vitamin D blood levels can be tested, and that's the best way to guide the appropriate dosing. But people will often start with 1,000 units a day and then see after a few months what the blood levels have arrived at. Um, takes about three months for vitamin D levels to equilibrate in the blood. So you can have too much of a good thing. So while you're doing these things, it's important to partner with your doctor and make sure that you're doing everything safely and that it is helping. You can actually get a lot of your vitamins just from eating a healthy diet. How else can diet impact prostate cancer, Dr. Scholes? Well, earlier we talked about how we can monitor PSA levels monthly in men that had previous surgery and are facing a relapse. And the same uh, measuring methodology can be used for people who change their diet. And I've had a number of patients come to me through the years, not at my recommendation, but who wanted to go on a diet and see how powerful that would be for inhibiting cancer progression. And uh, typically they would pick very stringent vegetarian diets, macrobiotic diets, lose weight as a result, although that wasn't the goal. And lo and behold, PSA levels that were previously rising steadily would stabilize and stop rising for as long as they were uh, carefully following their diets. It didn't make the cancer go away, but it certainly slowed down its growth. Let's say you have a patient who's on a vegan diet, has a healthy weight, is taking the right amount of the correct supplements. Like, Will they not get prostate cancer? Or if they have prostate cancer, will it prevent it from being aggressive? My personal belief, which is all we can really go on, is that those good practices will reduce the incidence of prostate cancer and they will inhibit the prostate cancers that do occur and postpone their development. I don't think we can uh, point to any one magic methodology to ensure that we won't get any kind of health problem, including cancer, but I think we can definitely reduce our risk. Where is the line between going too far with all of this and also not trying enough? Well, the most stark examples I've had are patients who've come to me for consultation and then made a decision to move to Mexico and undergo regular treatment with coffee enemas. The um, idea that um, alternative medicine is on par with what modern technology can offer is rather ridiculous. The um, way I see these supplements and diet and exercise as ancillary to all the other available treatments, and not to say that standard treatments can't be overused and uh, incur unnecessary toxicity. Everything has to be done skillfully. But I think it's the either-or thinking that some people adopt that can really hurt them. So when you're in a consult and someone brings up supplements, what do you say? Well, oftentimes it's a matter of, of cutting back because if people have a real prostate cancer, of course, many people have innocuous prostate cancers and and their, their dietary and supplement behavior may not matter that much for a small Gleason 6 prostate cancer. But for people that have the higher grade cancers, uh, the usual policy is to warn them that their uh, multivitamin, multimineral preparations may be actually enhancing cancer growth. And just as we would advise them to stay away from uh, fatty foods and uh, high protein, animal protein based diets, which could also accelerate cancer growth. 
As you can imagine, this is a huge topic. For instance, Dr. Moyad's book is about 500 pages, and only about a page and a half of that is about prostate cancer. What we focus on is individualized care, treating the whole patient. We've been focusing on just prostate cancer today, but there are supplements for fatigue, for nausea, for men's health. The list goes on and on. So one thing we've learned today is that some supplements, excess minerals, can be deleterious. Another thing we've learned is that you need to have clinical trials to back up what you're recommending. The third thing is that supplements tend to be milder than normal medicines and have fewer side effects, but may not have the same horsepower. And a good illustration of this is a um, problem that occurred more than 10 years ago with a supplement called PC-SPES, which uh, was some sort of an herbal derivative that had estrogenic activity. Uh, a combination of Chinese herbs. Lo and behold, this supplement could really cause PSA declines and maintain them. What was also seen is that testosterone levels dropped, breast enlargement occurred, and some men developed blood clots. I think this illustrates that things that are really going to move the needle in treating cancer are going to also have a potential for side effects. The day when we have something that will kill all cancer without any side effects will be truly miraculous. As of now, that day hasn't arrived. This was a really great topic, and I learned so much in researching this. Next time, we're going to talk about testosterone, a little bit about testosterone replacement, and maybe about testosterone using testosterone in patients' partners. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, and visit our website at podcast.prostateoncology.com.